If I say, oh, don't put that thing there, it's enough to put him into fight or flight mode. Or if I'm giving him a piece of advice that he probably needs and will probably appreciate later, initially his face is like thunder. My initial response to pretty much everything she says is, no, you're wrong. Um, I see that now. I think it's taken some time to understand that. It's like literally I'm being punched in the stomach. Mm. If I say, oh, why did you say that? It can go into a shouting match, but even before then, I feel like it's a kind of energetically I've been slapped on the face or punched in the stomach. But there is a tendency for very trivial things to become huge arguments or things, arguments that can last for days with us. I feel like I'm being criticized or she's criticizing me and there's something wrong with me. So I think that's the big stumbling block in our relationship. I would say the biggest. All right. So I'm really excited to have a couple with me here today joining us from London. So uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Hello. It's really nice to be here, Jundi. I'm quite new to your work, but we've been looking into neurodivergent relationships for a while now. And yeah, I think we've come quite far in our kind of relationship. We're almost self-coached. We've done a few courses here and there, not one-to-one therapy, but we still have some questions that we don't know how to get around. So that's what we're here for. Hello and welcome. I'm Jody Carlton and your host today. I'm neurotypical, which means I'm not autistic, but I've spent my entire life in relationships loving people who are autistic. Moreover, I've spent the majority of my career educating about autism and helping couples bridge the gap in neurodiverse relationships. But this podcast is for you. It's a place to talk with me, to share your struggles, talk to me about your wins, your challenges, your victories, and also hear from other professionals who really get it and understand you. So what will we talk about today? Okay, I'm glad you're here and thank you for deciding to come on the show. And so so tell us a little bit more about you. You said you're new to this neurodivergent relationship thing. So just tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got to this place and decided to be on this show and, and what got you here today. We actually had, we've, we're going to be married 30 years in August. Mm-hmm. And we actually had an arranged marriage where we were introduced to each other, but we, and we had some choice, but we had, we faced a lot of kind of family pressure. So while I think um, my husband was quite sure about marrying me, I had some hesitancy because I sensed there was something emotionally, I was finding it very hard to connect, but it all happened. And I have to say, I think the first, gosh two decades have been really hard because I didn't know what was going on. And even though we love each other very much and he's a really good man and I think I'm a pretty nice person, it was, there was just so much pain. And it was only because I went to counseling for another issue. I was asked by my therapist. I only went for six sessions. It was quite a short period of time. It's my husband supported me and I described some of the ways in which he behaved and she laughed, which is probably quite unprofessional. She laughed and said, Hmm. what's the matter with him? Is he autistic or something? Hmm. And literally my eyes opened and penny dropped. And then I faced the usual problem with trying to explain it to other people. So I explained it to him and he didn't say 
yes, I am. He didn't say, no, I'm not, but he just kind of got on with his life. Didn't really acknowledge it in any kind of deep way and saying the same with my family. So I guess I was in, ended up with the usual kind of Cassandra syndrome. I kept on battling until about a year and a half ago when I told him that, you know, I couldn't keep pulling the weight in this relationship and if it was going to go downhill. Because I'm on these feet. We're both quite driven in our own ways and we both don't give up. But I think I got to the point where I thought, if he doesn't put 50% in, why am I doing this? And I'm going to be happy regardless. And I think for me, the big thing was I didn't need to walk out of the relationship. I didn't need to do anything massive. I could just make myself happy. I could just do things I enjoyed on my own. And I think it put the fear of God into him. Didn't <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you want to say anything? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, part of our relationship changed. There were issues as as she said, uh, right from the beginning, but in terms of communication, in terms of emotional expression, I've always had issues and difficulties in expressing my emotions and dealing with people. And I've always had this thing where, especially when we were with friends or in social situations where I would go in a corner and just do my own thing. As a result of that, we didn't really enjoy a normal social life, which, which impacted her. And really got her down a lot of the time. But as she said, the penny really dropped. I guess what started about two years ago, but what really started the, the transition was when I started working from home about five years ago. And it really, in, during the pandemic, when everybody was working from home and there was a lot of time really to, to talk about our relationship and do something about it, that I realized, or she convinced me that I needed to do something to, to be more proactive, uh, rather than just waiting for things to get better. Cause obviously they hadn't gotten better in 20, 25 years, mm. oh, 2018, sorry. So I took a course, which was for ASD one husbands and just understand ourselves, how we could communicate with our partners to understand what our limitations were and just mm -hmm. see how, how we could work around them. And that was very helpful mm -hmm. because it gave pointers and tips and, and it involved work from both sides because I had to make an effort, but also at the same time, she had to understand some of the issues that I was dealing with. So that started a process, which I think has gone, has helped change our relationship. There are still issues. But it has gone a long way in helping us communicate and understand each other. Okay. Wow. So there's a lot there. How long ago was it then? So you've been together for almost 30 years and you mentioned that you'd gone to a counselor. And I just, I have to just stop and say that my, my stomach turned over when you said that the therapist laughed. I hear, I just want to pause and say that I hear narratives like this and stories like this quite frequently and it, it just makes me just ugh. my own profession is so untrained and so uh, ill-equipped to know how to handle this and there are so many myths this is a april here in the united states i don't even know if this is worldwide to be honest but it, here in the u.s is is autism awareness month and so we're, one of the things that we're doing here is to try to really raise awareness of what autism is in a lot of people think of that is what does it look like in children? But 
a lot of what I try to do is what does this look like in adults? What does this look like in adult couples? Because therapists don't know what it looks like. And even psychologists who test and assess don't know what it looks like. And there's such a, a, a myth of what it looks like. And, and the way this therapist responded to you was almost, um, it sounds like there was even a, a, almost a mockery of it. And I do agree with you. That was unprofessional. And I, that just bothers me. <laughs> that just bothers me. It, it, it was terrible, but on the other side, it saved my life. Okay. So let's it's talk just, about that. You know, it, it yeah. never would have occurred to me before. Because so let's talk about that part because even though the therapist and there are bad, there are bad apples out there in every profession. What was it then at that point when the therapist said this, what was it when, when the therapist said that, did, did you immediately think, huh, or, or did you go research it or were there specific, can you share with me and, and with the listeners, were there specific traits. Your husband has shared some of the social challenges that he already knew. He's shared some of the social difficulties he's had. There was a lot going on at the time because the reason I'd gone to the counselors, I had just realized that one of my parents probably had narcissistic personality disorder, mm. which you probably won't find surprising because I think a lot of women who are married to men on the spectrum perhaps are slightly damaged themselves. And so I was researching all of that and that had turned my life around. And then on top of that, within a few weeks, I found out about this. So I was fighting two, two battles. So I was trying to figure out what to do uh, with both of these people in my life. I think what was just shocking for me was not the traits because I knew all the traits. I know with my husband, there's a lot of good and a lot he can do, whether he's masking or it comes naturally. But the thing that we both really struggle with is he is triggered really easily. And for me to understand why that happened, I think that was the biggest thing, that actually there was a reason for it. And there was a reason he wasn't doing certain things to support me. So it was that understanding that came with why those behaviors came about, which was a huge relief. But on the other hand, practically, we didn't know how to move forward. So can you tell us what you mean by triggered? What, what did that, what does that look like? And either one of you can answer this. Okay. I'm going to say maybe both of us should, because to get a balanced view, he is triggered by anything and everything. It could be the smallest thing. If I say, oh, don't put that thing there. It's, it's enough to put him into fight or flight mode. Or if I'm giving him a piece of advice that you probably need and will probably appreciate later, initially, his face is like thunder. The question I really wanted to ask, which will probably come to later, involves this. I'm what some people would call an empath, I think, or highly empathic, mm -hmm. which means that I pick up other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. So when he, I say something which I think is quite innocuous and his face Literally, I call it his murderous face. It's like, literally, I'm being punched in the stomach. Mm. So one small thing 
And it's not that he's shouting at me. He does shout, actually, if it goes any further. If I say, oh, why did you do that? Why did you say that? It can go into a shouting match. But even before then, I feel like it's a kind of energetically I've been slapped on the face or punched in the stomach. I feel it that strongly. So for me, that's the issue. And, and then obviously, there are bigger things than that also being triggered. So I think that's the big stumbling block in our relationship. I would say the biggest. I think I don't, I don't take advice or criticism. Sometimes I think advice is criticism, so I don't take that very well. My, my initial response to pretty much everything she says is no, you're wrong. Um, and I see that now. I think it's taken some time to understand that. So it, it, it doesn't help whenever, you know, we're in a situation. It can be the, the most innocuous, irrelevant or small trivial thing, but there is a tendency for very trivial things to become huge arguments or things, arguments that can last for days with us. So it's, I think that's what she means is that whenever some of these things happen and she says something, I feel like I'm being criticized or she's criticizing me and there's something wrong with me and I become very defensive. And I say something back, I get angry or even the little... He's told me lots of times the best form of defense is attack. <laughs> so when he gets defensive, he attacks. Yeah. So, yeah. And then that triggers and she reacts in, in, you know... In kind. In kind or yeah, because she's very highly sensitive. Even the smallest attack or response by me that, you know, then gets triggered into something bigger and it, it just mushrooms out of control sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, we, we have reached a point where we can sometimes just stop. And that's one of the things that I learned in this course I took was to just stop, pause, and just take a deep breath and analyze where we are. So in my communication program, I teach the pause, that pause button before you get to that fight or flight response. And, and I also teach the abort button. And the difference between those two are which conversations are worth just completely aborting and, and not even having. Because sometimes we don't even have to have a, a, some conversations. They're not even worth having. We can just toss them. We don't even need to have that conversation. We can just toss it. That's the abort button. The pause button are conversations that, that do need to ha be had. But somebody's getting triggered and we're seeing that it's one of us, one person in this, this conversation is beginning to go into fight or flight. We have to pause right now because anytime anybody starts to go into fight or flight, there's nothing productive that's going to happen, that's going to come from that interaction once somebody's in fight or flight. And so we have to pause right now. So I think that is why we came or I wanted to come on this call. And I think my husband also agreed it was a good question to ask. We know we need to pause. And actually, I've only learned recently that I've got this tendency to try and make everyone understand my point of view, which I realize is ridiculous now. I should, I should walk away lots of times. But when he is triggered, because I'm so empathic, I'm triggered. And neither one of us is going to hit the pause button. So do you have any practical tips for that? Yeah, I'm glad you actually mentioned that because I was about to circle back to that. So before I go into the tips part, I have a few things to say about uh, your relationship dynamic, if you don't mind. So the, the relationship that the two of you have is a very common relationship dynamic in neurodiverse relationships. It's interesting to me and intriguing that you have an arranged marriage and still have this dynamic where 
one of you has is coming from a narcissistic upbringing, likely a, a likely narcissistic upbringing. That's a very common pattern. I don't know if you've heard me say that before because I talk about this a lot in my videos, but it's really common for a neurotypical partner who has a narcissistic parent or has been in a previously narcissistic relationship to then be in a marriage or a long-term relationship with someone who's autistic. And I call it a step-down relationship. That doesn't mean that it's a temporary one. It, it can be the long-term permanent marriage. But oftentimes that narcissistic upbringing or that previous narcissistic relationship is so highly chaotic and traumatic and painful and, and diminishing and demeaning that the autistic partner appears to have an emotional stability, especially in the beginning, because of, there's not that chaos there in, in an autistic partner. And that is very appealing usually to people who've grown up with a narcissist who there's just emotional chaos with a narcissist. And that that typically doesn't exist with an autistic partner. So that can be a very appealing characteristic. But down the road, what starts to happen is the, the lack of emotional range or there's a narrower emotional range in an autistic partner. For a lot of them, not everybody has a narrower emotional range, but that difficulty in connecting emotionally and identifying emotions, recognizing emotions, recognizing emotional needs. What you're describing as at being an empath is that heightened awareness of emotions paired with someone who's not nearly as in tune with emotions. That's part of where you're, you're missing each other. And, and let me just speak to the empath as well. That empathic nature, I can relate to that. I was raised by a narcissist father and, and I married a man who was autistic. That's my pattern too. Those of us who are empaths, have that heightened sense of awareness because it's a survival skill that we developed. It's a sixth sense. We all have a degree of ability to detect the emotions of others. But when we're raised by a, a toxic personality, whether it's a narcissist or those other borderline personalities, some of those toxic personalities, that heightened sense of awareness is, is a survival skill in order to be constantly aware of the emotional environment in order to protect ourselves emotionally. And it's a skill we develop very young uh, in order to, to be safe emotionally. We become very skilled at recognizing the emotional climate of, of what's going on around us, the people around us. We can just feel their energy. We're very good at it. And it's an adaptive coping mechanism that's a trauma response. And that's why we're so good at it. And that's why you can just tell, you can feel his energy. And, and it's a very legitimate thing. And so that's why. But he can't feel yours. And he, he can't read your energy nearly as well. But the other thing is, sometimes we have a tendency to, we have misfires and we have uh, false alarms. And that's something that as an empath, we also have to recognize that we are very e easily triggered. Here in, in Georgia, where I live, we are in a tornado alley. And so here it's our spring season right now. And so we've already had a couple of tornado outbreaks and we have basements in our homes here. You've probably seen the, the, the mm -hmm. news footage. We have 
radar that is constantly scanning the weather and, and our meteorologists here usually know when the storm systems are coming. But that radar is constantly scanning, looking for those outbreaks. And when there's a severe storm coming, that it looks for rotation in the system. It looks for that tornado. And if there are sirens in our communities that go off and our phones start going off and we have alarms on our phones. And so everybody, you know, dives for cover. Everybody goes to their basements because our houses can literally get blown away. It's, it's very scary. And sometimes though, the radar is overreactive and it detects rotation that's maybe there, but it may be up in the clouds. It may not be on the ground and those sirens will go off and there's not really a tornado. It's a little bit hyperactive. That's what can happen with an empath. We are really, 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 really looking and watching for potential harm, a potential threat. And so sometimes we get triggered when there's not really a threat there. So let me pause and just ask you guys, what am I saying here that resonates in your relationship? No, absolutely. I think that resonates. And especially for me, because I'm embarrassed to say, but before we did all of this work, I really thought all the issues were his, but I've realized how many of the issues were mine as well. There's no shame. There's no shame. There, there's nothing embarrassing to admit. It's a process to learn all of this. And you're not alone in that. So, most of my neurodiverse folks, my autistic folks, think that their neurotypical partner is the one that's crazy. I, I can't tell you how many you know, neurodiverse folks are like, life is crazy. A lot of my neurotypical partners have been uh, told by their autistic partner that they're bipolar or that they're emotionally unstable, irrational, overreactive. And then they learn that they're autistic and, the, and they're like, oh, the rest of the world is actually experienced that things are different than the way I see things and the way I experience things. Oh, and that is a moment for a lot of the, the neurodiverse folks to say, oh, okay. A lot of them already realize, okay, I, I am different than a lot of people, but Everybody who goes through this process has those moments of awareness that, okay, I'm part of this is me. Part of this is what I was born into this world, this brain that I have, the genetics I have, the background I have, the, the upbringing that I had, the experiences I've had, all of it makes up who we are and what we're bringing to our relationship. So I just wanted to stop you there, but go, go ahead. So though it also that resonates. I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I'm not diagnosed, so but I'm pretty sure that, that I am on the spectrum. But one of the things that that in in our relationship has always been an issue uh, for me has been that I've been overwhelmed by her emotions, and most of the time I, I just can't deal with. I reach a point and it's, I, I can't deal with it. I have to go into the basement. The tornado is coming. Mm. Right. I have to go into the basement. And I think one of the things that by understanding what my condition is and what some of the things that come with it are, I think we both realized that when I go into the basement, she doesn't think that I'm running away. I need to just stop, compose myself, and then be able to come back and take some more that has been a big thing for us because in the past when that would happen she would just keep keep at me and wouldn't let me get away and and, and that would make things worse so i think that's been a big change and 
And I can relate to, to what you're saying that understanding each other's triggers and, and alarms is very, is very useful in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to the question that you had about how you said that when you're in this moment, nobody's going to push the pause button. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit, give me an example what leads up to the moments when you believe that you are now engaged in a way that neither one of you is going to be able to press that pause button. What's led up to that point? Okay, and we're going to stop there for today's show. To hear the examples that my guests are giving here and my tips and pointers for how to get through those situations where it's really hard for both partners to press that pause button or to recognize how to stop when that fight or flight response is kicking in, be sure to tune in next week and listen in to us to chat about that and a lot more. We continue to have a really great conversation that I know you're going to want to hear. Remember to tune in each week for a new episode of your Neurodiverse Relationship Podcast. Now remember, this is your podcast and I want to talk to you. Share with me your personal experiences with neurodiversity. If you're a professional working with autism, I'd also like to talk to you. To be a guest on the show, the link is in the episode description where you can book a time for a recorded chat with me. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any of the wonderful conversations we're having here and the relationship insights and tips that I have for you. Until next time.